welcome to Regeneratively Speaking, a podcast brought to you by the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I'm Katherine Drinkett. And I'm Joshua Huntsberger. In each episode, we bring you interviews with guest researchers and our Institute's faculty covering the latest cutting-edge research on regenerative medicine. Our guest today is Dr. Daniel Kraft. Dr. Kraft is faculty chair for medicine and neuroscience at Singularity University and also the executive director of Exponential Medicine. Dr. Kraft is a Stanford and Harvard trained physician scientist, inventor, entrepreneur, and innovator. Hi, Dr. Kraft. Thanks for being here. Great to be here. Thanks. So I wanted to start off. During your talk today, you mentioned several emerging fields that will change the face of healthcare and the practice of medicine in the next decade. Some were low-cost personal genomics, the digitization of health records. I was wondering if you could review maybe the top three that you think of, of these emerging fields. Well, I think part of the theme for thinking about the future of health and medicine and reinventing elements of, of how we practice both uh, prevention, wellness, diagnostics, and therapy is not any one technology or field, it's sort of at their convergence, where they can come together in, in layered ways. Because I think we live now in what I like to call an exponential age with technologies moving faster and faster, where your smartphone is essentially a supercomputer in your pocket, and you can now you know, wear little sensors that would have cost you know, tens of thousands of dollars in the past, or have your genome sequence for close to $1,000 today or $100 in the future. So it's hard to narrow it down to sort of any one quote-unquote technology, I think what I'd encourage your listeners and others who want to innovate to think about is the pace of change and what's likely to be available in the next two to five years and use some of those technologies in smart ways when you're planning your future clinical trials or innovations or, or applications you might want to build. Uh, but to pick a couple that are, that are moving quickly, um, one would sort of be the Internet of Things. All these, you know, many folks might be familiar with quantified self, these old little $100 sensors you can wear that will track your steps and your sleep. And I think that's the beginning of what started as quote unquote the quantified self, but it's going to move to quantified health, meaning we can measure not just your steps and your sleep, but they might be sensors in your home that help track you know, your movement around the house, your refrigerator might know when you're cheating on your diet, the Nest <laughs> temperature monitor and, and smoke alarm might be measuring other elements of your health that when you put it all together, won't just be wearable devices, but elements from your environment and your car and sensors in your clothes that will start to give you a picture of, of your normal patterns and can help pick things up potentially early if you're going in the wrong direction. So they can be used to help you know, optimize your health and fitness, more steps and more, more miles run and better sleep, but will soon be leveraged by clinicians to help track you know, things like we can do today, like your blood sugar and blood pressure and weight which can be used to, to track and treat heart failure, for example. But will go on to be more of an insight and give the individual, as a consumer and as a patient, more um, insight into their data, which can, again, be used to promote health, wellness, uh, diagnostics, and therapy. Another piece that's layered on top of that is this era of sort of uh, big data. It's a bit of a bug, buzzword, but all these new digital devices from our, our smartphones to our cars to to our internet use are all being you know, captured in some ways, the digital exhaust from our lives, but that creates a huge amount of information. You know, your, your primary care doctor or even specialist today won't know what to do with your genetic information. So with all the new sort of digital data, it's not useful until it becomes relevant to you and, and is relevant to 
medical research and beyond. So one fast-moving technology that's not really new but is changing health and medicine will be that of artificial intelligence, something that's going to start making sense of all the data streams and hopefully then translating that to you as a, as a consumer and patient and your healthcare team in smart ways. And we've seen technologies like IBM Watson beat the champions in Jeopardy, but that sort of system is being applied to leverage healthcare data. So it'll understand your genomics and your behavior set and your environment and uh, will help you and your, your doctor do a better job of prevention and therapy. And the last one I'll mention, which is kind of fun, that's going to be expanding into our lives in many ways would be um, that of 3D printing, which you know started out you know a couple decades ago, but it now is at the point where you can buy a $1,000 home printer and is clearly being leveraged in, in the field here at, at Wake Forest in regenerative medicine, but can play a role in, in orthopedics. So you have your personally designed braces that'll fit your teeth, which exist today, or uh, crutches, or if you fracture your arm, all the way to... Um, you know, 3D printing your own tools and glasses and things that, that meet you on a personal level. So those are examples of, of fast-moving technologies that are sort of blending together that can in, improve many elements of our life. That is really interesting. Just a follow-up question that I had, who do you think will be the primary drivers for some of these advances? Meaning, do you think it's going to be the consumers that are buying these wearable devices? Do you see it being healthcare providers maybe implementing different incentives? I think it's a bit of a blend. Some of it's pushed by the consumer and some of it's hopefully eventually integrated with your, your clinical team and, and primary care physician and specialists. And it often depends on the system you're in. If you are a fee-for-service physician, their incentives are to see more patients, not necessarily to keep you healthy. But many of the incentives in many healthcare systems in the U.S. and beyond are shifting to sort of value-based care and outcome-based care. And so for today, you know, a, a, an individual might be buying their own connected blood pressure cuff or Fitbit type technology to track their steps. But in the future, I see physician, if you have high, high blood pressure, hypertension, quote unquote, prescribing you a blood pressure cuff or a, a digital scale that they can use to help track your weight and your activity and maybe your sleep. And you might be incentivized as an individual that if you're showing healthy behaviors, you're getting 10,000 steps in a day and improving your sleep, that you might have a lower insurance premium. So that sets your, 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 your incentives. And the healthcare payers, the big insurance companies, they see that if they can instigate or encourage their members to do healthier behaviors, they'll end up saving money downstream on healthcare costs. For example, if you have prediabetes and you're on the cusp of becoming a type 2 diabetic, it's probably worth your insurance company and your physician and you individually to spend some time turning that around and maybe there's a, an online system and some apps and connected scales and social networks that can help that. You might want to spend a thousand dollar investment in that to save the thousands of dollars of healthcare costs you're going to generate in the next few years from having type 2 diabetes from the complications to the drugs, you know, let alone the sort of personal suffering of yourself and your family. So. Bottom line, the incentives are starting to shift in many elements of healthcare. I don't think it's any one or the other. I think the clinical, the, the forward-thinking physicians and healthcare systems today don't need to wait for the future. They can leverage some of these tools, you know, connected glucometers, blood pressure cuffs, step monitors, and beyond today already. Great. Okay. As we mentioned to our listeners, you are the chair of medicine and neuroscience at Singularity University, and you've been there since its inception. Can you tell us what led to the creation of this facility that provides training and education about technological advances? Sure. Well, well, Singularity University, which is based in the heart of Silicon Valley at the NASA Ames Research Park, uh, was founded about six years ago 
the two co-founders, uh, my friend Peter Diamandis, who's a Harvard-trained physician, who uh, is the founder and chairman of the XPRIZE, which some of your listeners might have heard of. Uh, the other co-founder is Ray Kurzweil, who's a pretty famous futurist ex- writer who wrote the book The Singularity is Near. He's also a, a very significant inventor who is now the director of engineering for a small company called Google. And the idea behind Singularity University is many of us who are physicians or researchers or lawyers or doctors or whomever, we know a lot about our field, but we're often not keeping up with the fast-paced explosion of technologies around us. And so the mission of Singularity University is to educate today's leaders and future leaders to understand fast-moving, often exponential-type technologies, and how to then leverage those to address big global challenges like poverty, education, the environment, healthcare. So that's the overall mission. It's, it's an educational institution, but we also now enable entrepreneurs and startups and companies through our accelerators and incubators and other programs to understand the pace of change and to use that to help disrupt the world in positive ways. When I talk about exponential technologies, some of the themes around Singularity University, it's, it's technologies that are often doubling in their price and their speed of performance, like Moore's Law, like, that makes computers faster and cheaper, or you know the, the pace of 3D printing or social networking. And if you can see a little bit where these technologies are going in the next two to five years, where the, where the puck is going to be, as Wayne Gretzky says, you can do a better job in, in improving your own research program or company or inventions. So that's a bit of the mission, and I've been sharing the medicine track since it started, and a lot of interesting new ideas and partnerships and companies have, have come out of that program. And because many folks coming to Singular University in our 10-week summer program and our one-week executive programs, which you can find a lot about at singularityu.org, a lot of folks were interested in healthcare, you know, because personally, you know, whether it's their own medical issues or those with their family or they're somewhere in the, in the medical establishment, and realize that many technologies are, are impacting healthcare in new ways, from mobile health and, and digital and, and genomics. So three years ago now, I founded a program there called Future Med, which is now called Exponential Medicine, which brings together, you know, instead of a normal medical conference, folks just in cancer or in cardiology or orthopedics, we bring a whole blend of both clinicians and researchers and innovators and funders and, and folks outside of healthcare to look at where technology is heading and how we can reinvent health and medicine. So it's been a really interesting journey and I, I encourage folks to come uh, join us you know, in person at some of our programs around the world or, or online to help rewire their brains a bit because you know, the future is coming faster than you think. Yeah, and in rewiring your brains and thinking about these different fields coming together to provide advances in technology that will hopefully lead to breakthrough innovations in healthcare, can you give some more specific examples as to how exponential medicine can help facilitate that? Sure. Well, something sort of magical happens when you bring together, you know, inventors and physicians, and you blend that with unmet needs. A lot of folks invent a technology, like, a, you know, it's a hammer, and they want to find everything to be a nail. So one of the key things is to understand a lot of the, the problem spaces, the unmet needs, of which there's many in healthcare, you know, the aging demographic, the inefficiencies in our communication, fragmented healthcare and defensive healthcare system, um, the you know the the many Americans who don't have access to a primary care physicians and specialists, um, all the way down to problems of how do we treat cancer in a more personalized way or uh, improve medical compliance when people are prescribed a drug, half of them don't take their drugs appropriately or at all. So when you blend some of the problem spaces with some of these new or more powerful technologies, you can start to reinvent things. And one example that's been inspired by 
science fiction would be the, the Star Trek tricorder, which you might remember Bones McCoy could whoop, scan his patients and you know seamlessly get a diagnosis. And I've been involved with the X Prize, which has developed a, uh, I've been on the team to help develop a, a, a medical tricorder X Prize. Uh, it's sponsored by Qualcomm, $10 million for the teams that can develop a home-based diagnostic device to help triage and um, diagnose the top 16 medical conditions that can be picked up at home, as opposed to waiting for the event to happen or it's 2 in the morning, do you go to the emergency room or not? And at Exponential Medicine, at one of our early programs, a team was formed around the idea of joining this contest. They're a company called Scanadu, and they actually have built essentially a medical tricorder, um, which is already moving into clinical trials two and a half years later. And that's the integration of a, a home-based sensor that can pick up heart rate and temperature and respiratory rate and your EKG um, and your relative blood pressure. Communicate that through your phone to a data set that could be layered with artificial intelligence that might talk to your doctor and let them help you decide whether you need to go to the ER, for example, or tie that with some home-based tests that can analyze your urine or your blood. So that's the example of bringing some technologies, all of which ex existed in small buckets, and incentivizing teams to bring it together to build a medical-type tricorder in reality. And there's over 200 teams that have entered that competition. You can see details at qualcommmedicaltricorder.com. So that's one example of, of, of technology that have emerged from our programs and others. Uh, others are teams that have come together to look at this big data problem. A lot of issues in healthcare now are folks go home from the hospital and they bounce right back. Uh, one issue that's common is, is heart failure. Patients with heart failure have to be on a lot of medicines. They need to be adjusted frequently based on their weight and their blood pressure and their symptoms. And now hospital systems aren't reimbursed if those patients come back in 30 days. So the incentives are aligning to create systems and data sets at home so you can measure these patients without having to bring them back to the clinic or back to the emergency room emergently. Uh, one company I'm involved in called Jointly Health is developing the algorithms to analyze the data from a patient with heart failure, for example, and to send through their medical team, you know, a red light, a green light, or a red light if something is going off, so that patient can be um, intervened upon, whether that's just calling them and say, change your dose of your blood thinner or your, uh, your, or your water pill, and that data can be gleaned from their connected blood pressure cuff and their scale or other sensors. So just a, a, big, a very common problem, heart disease and heart failure, being addressed with some new technologies and new systems to, to have a feedback loop to connect the clinician and their medical team and the patient and their family. Yeah, that also seems like it opens up a whole new world in terms of the type of data that can be collected and what we could learn from regular just checkups with, with normal people. Is there any thought being given to how this data could be integrated together to inform clinicians how they treat patients or even integrated into clinical trials, let's say, for heart disease? Sure. I mean, there's lots of examples even existing today. Google famously built Google Flu Trends. And you can tell uh, when the flu is coming to your neighborhood well before the CDC data based on who is searching for flu symptoms in your neighborhood. And that's leveraging people's search terms. There are examples of this idea of, of being a data donor. You know, you're a data donor now if you're signed up with Google and you use Google Maps. You share a little bit of your privacy about where you are on the road and what your speed is. That data integrates into Google Maps and now you can learn where the traffic jams are or how to reroute yourself uh, to school or to work or wherever you're trying to go. And that's crowdsourcing data. And I think part of the future of, of, of clinical trials and healthcare in general is the, the, the participatory patient 
who is, is willing to share some of their data, maybe their genetic information, their behavioral information, sometimes anonymously, and hopefully then contributing to improving clinical trials or the general knowledge base. So just like with Google Maps, you get some information back uh, after you volunteer some of your own that can improve your, uh, your speed of driving and, and route to work. So I think there's examples of that emerging, uh, and clinical, clinical trials and pharma companies can leverage mobile apps and sensors in new ways to, to glean information that used to be done with number two, or still is done with number two pencils and clipboards um, in smarter ways. So I would encourage you know, the, the current and the next generation of investigators and physicians and pharma companies to start taking some of these tools off the shelf um, that can, can improve our ability to connect and collect data. And the overall, so I have to say, one big shift that is hopefully going to arrive in healthcare is healthcare or medicine today is very much reactive. We wait for the heart attack or the stroke or the lump to be discovered before we get diagnosed with stage three cancer or have the stroke or have the heart attack or type two diabetes has evolved, for example. That's very much reactive. And the data we get is very intermittent. You know, maybe once a year you get your blood pressure checked in the doctor's office or have a blood test. So intermittent and reactive health, health and medicine. And where we can go with some of these new tools is to be much more proactive. You're gonna know your genetics. So you can tune your prevention regimen and your diet to preventing things from happening. You can uh, maybe get screened at a different age than, than the general population based on your genetic and other risk factors. Then you can be much more continuous about that data. You're not waiting to, to if you're a smoker, to find the, 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 the tumor on the chest x-ray. Your bed might be measuring your sleep and your respiratory rate, how often you're coughing. Uh, your phone can pick that up. Your voice can change if you're developing early Parkinson's. The amount of uh, coughing you might get picked up by your microphone, your phone may be a clue if you're a smoker to get intervened upon earlier. And most lung cancers get it picked up when they're advanced, but if we picked it up early. That's just a few examples. And these sensors, again, um, which can have clues into our health, are coming to our, you know, our watches and our phones. They're already there. But are even coming to our mattresses. You know, uh, I was at the Consumer Electronics Show in January of this year, and there was, you know, the big new market was these wearable and connected devices. Even the sleep number bed folks are coming out with an advanced mattress that tracks your vital signs and your sleep seamlessly and <laughs> could potentially give you clues, you know, over months and years that, wow, your, your pattern's changing. You should go get checked up. Something's going on. And again, if we can think about that check engine light model where the data gets integrated from lots of different parts of your life, I think we can be much more proactive about picking up whether it's something serious like a cancer or uh, endocrine disease or, or other things much earlier based on those early clues. And those clues are based on you individually, not the whole population. Interesting. Okay. You've talked to us about success and possibilities when using technology. Could you discuss the different roadblocks that are hindering development or the implementation of new technologies specifically for healthcare? Sure. I mean, many of these, these technologies are really here. I mean, here at Wake Forest, you've got some incredible regenerative medicine applications that, that work, but to get that into patients and on the market is, is a whole other story. And as technology speeds up, some of our regulatory bodies like the FDA and some of the insurers, you know, from Medicare to Blue Cross, aren't always necessarily able to keep up. They, they're thinking in old models, you know, old phase one, two, three clinical trials. And so some of the barriers are often the regulatory environment. How do you regulate a medical app, for example? And the FDA, to their credit, has SWAT teams looking at technology and how to reinvent some elements of clinical trials. They're working with the medical tricorder teams so that when they come to market, they're ready. But it's a challenge because you can't wait. Some of these technologies move so fast in five years, and that would be the, the time window to do a basic clinical trial in the past. So there's regulatory challenges and then the reimbursement challenges. If you have an app 
of which there are now several that can help manage your diabetes and it can help you track your blood sugar and communicate to your doctor and they can then tweak your meds and lower your blood sugar. Who's going to pay for that app? Who's going to regulate that app? Especially if that app tells you how much of your insulin to take or your oral medications to take. That's a whole other level of, of safety and eff efficacy you need than if it's just an app that tracks your, your exercise regimen or what meals you're taking. So we need to have smart oversight. Uh, but we also need to be thinking in smart ways about how to speed up some of these things so they can come to market faster. And, and some of these clinical trials can now be done with mobile apps and devices. If it's, I'm making this one up, but you know, I'm wearing a wrist sensor that tracks my sleep and my steps, but what if we quote unquote hacked it or designed it to track if I had a tremor and I was a Parkinson's patient and I was taking drugs for my, my, my Parkinson's, it could track how much I, my uh, arm is shaking and also track my um, activity level as well. And that might be part of a clinical trial that could give us much more objective measurable data than asking the Parkinson's patient to say, how, how was your tremor this morning? You know, hard to remember or to have that be very objective. So there's regulatory, there's reimbursement. There's also, by the way, a dark side to a lot of these technologies. You know, I could take the, the glass of water that you have across the table and lift your DNA from that and get you sequenced. And I could know a lot about your, your, your risk profiles and maybe even publish that on the web. What if you were running for president? So there's, a, there's the privacy issues, not just from your genetic information, but you know your phone data can tell a lot about your behaviors. Are you checking into the gym or are you going to the fast food restaurant uh, when you're supposed to be on that diet? So there's you know lots of pluses and minuses to these technologies. So we need to be mindful about getting them adapted in smart ways that protect privacy, but also can encourage research and the sharing of information across the siloed systems. You know, many hospital systems just down the street don't communicate with each other. They're faxing records back and forth. You know, half of our medical records are still living in manila folders. Most patients who have diabetes or high blood pressure might have a little notebook at home with their blood sugar and their blood pressure numbers, but their doctors never really see it. So lots of opportunity to, to leverage this, um, but many barriers. Some of the barriers are the fact that we're disrupting certain fields. If you're a dermatologist today or an anesthesiologist, some of that can be replaced by an algorithm or a robot. Johnson & Johnson came out with a robotic anesthesia machine for doing conscious sedation for, for cases like colonoscopy. Who's fighting that at tooth and nail? The anesthesiologists, right? They don't want to see uh, a machine take over their, their anesthesia job, and it might, might do a better job or equivalent job at a much lower cost. Or if you're a dermatologist, and you're mostly doing pattern recognition, saying, so, oh, that's, that's a normal rash, oh, that looks like a melanoma. That can be done now with machine learning and some of these new apps that can keep improving year on year, looking at your, little mo your mole and telling you that looks like a normal mole, or that looks a little bit like it's heading towards something dangerous, get it checked out. So there's ways that telemedicine and apps and mobile health will disrupt some of the current players and people don't like to be disrupted. <laughs> For our listeners, what would you like them to take away from this podcast? I think one of the sort of lessons uh, of, of the fast uh, uh, coming future <laughs> is that in some ways it's coming faster than we think or realize. If you look back to 2001, you know, just 12 years ago, that was when the first iPod came out, right? And the Apple stock was in the, you know, single digits. Um, and since then, you know, uh, just to talk about sort of, not to be an Apple shrill, but think about the fact it's only been six years since the iPhone and Android platforms came out and how that's completely disrupted and changed many fields. You know, you're not going to go buy a GPS device or a video camera or a new camera at all today. It's become, it's disappeared and dissolved into your smartphone. And, you know, imagine another five years what the, the smartphones and tablets will look like. Some of them are disappearing into our wearable watches and our 
Google Glass, for example, which I have here in front of me. And, and what I would say as a takeaway is when you're planning a new company, a new business, the future of education, of, of pharma, of communication, of, of, of uh, e-commerce or commerce in general, think about where these technologies might be in a couple of years because the iPhone 6 or 7 or 8 is going to be pretty different than the one to have today and that's going to provide new opportunities. That's just in the mobile space. Plus, the sensors will get more advanced. You'll have more access to information. You can be more empowered as a patient. And quote unquote, the new drug is the empowered, engaged consumer and patient who owns their own health. You can be the CEO of your own health. You don't need to say, oh, it's my doctor who's taking care of me, my doctor who I see maybe once a year, or wait to see after I have a problem. Um, so I would encourage folks to start trying some of these new technologies. You can go online now to a Best Buy or an Apple store, or I founded a company called Bionic Health, it's Bionic with a Q, where you can look at all the new digital health technologies from all the wearable tracking devices for your steps to connected glucometers and blood pressure cuffs and scales and apps and services you can try today. So you can be a bit of an earlier adopter. You don't need to spend a lot of money to do that either and start playing with these and maybe even educate your, your own doctor about what you're using. Come show them your activities from your sleep and steps that you can brag about and, and help you stay on top of, of your behavior change if that's what you're trying to do. And I would encourage uh, your listeners also to, when they're trying to innovate and evolve, you can start to take off-the-shelf products and plug in you know, Microsoft Connect that's been used for gaming into healthcare. It's been done in the operating room so surgeons can control slides by waving their hands or to take a whole new, all these new online services that you don't, don't need to buy a server anymore, you can rent one you know, for pennies on the dollar. So lots of ways for new folks to innovate to get things funded, you know, crowdfunding like you know, Kickstarter and Indiegogo are platforms to, to try your innovations out and, and help move things faster. You don't need to be a big company. You don't need to be an academic to innovate in this space as well. That's excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for thank taking you. the time. Sure. My pleasure. I, I'd encourage folks to uh, check out Singularity University where I chair the medicine track at singularityu.org or come to one of my future medicine programs, uh, exponentialmedicine.com, which is also a resource for understanding where, where technology is going. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel underscore craft, and, um, and hopefully I can help you stay engaged with uh, what's happening in the, in the future of, of health medicine and technology. Great. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for this episode. Be sure to listen next time for the latest in regenerative medicine. This podcast is a production of Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine, part of Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center. For more information, visit our website at www.wfirm.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter at WFIRM News.